Well, good morning again, and to those of you online, we're so glad to be able to be together this morning. A few weeks ago, I came across a HuffPost article called Bizarre Church Laws That Could Send You to Jail. So these are outdated laws that are real and truly bizarre. So in Alabama, it's apparently illegal to wear a fake mustache to church. All right, so I was watching as you were coming in this morning for some of those. Um, not sure what Mike Seuss is wearing is what they had in mind, um, but you get the picture. In Boston, Massachusetts, it's against the law to eat peanuts while in church. Um, so he's got the pistachios. I'm not sure if they're going to crack down on those or not. Uh, in Texas... Um, before I tell you this one, this is the fun we get to do behind the scenes, all right? In Texas, it's illegal to go to church in disguise, all right? And uh, Adam does not approve. In Nicholas County, West Virginia, so Summersville, if any of you guys are from down that way, no clergy members, and I love the wording of this law, no clergy members may tell jokes or humorous stories from the pulpit during church services, all right? So here's the thing, I'm just gonna level with you. We're in Mon County, okay? We're gonna keep telling our jokes. They're probably gonna keep being corny, but just please laugh when we tell our jokes. All right, it makes us feel good. And this last one, you just have to wonder how bad did it get? So this is New York, it's New York City, and here's how the law is stated. It is illegal to pass gas in church but here's the kicker, all right? So there's a caveat, with the intent to cause a disturbance. So, I love, yeah, yeah. So apparently, if, this, if you need to do that this morning, it's okay, but if you're intending to cause a disturbance, then you've crossed the line, it's too far. All right. So we can laugh at these laws, right? They're outdated, they're bizarre, they're just kind of crazy. But if you've gone to church um, of various kinds or if you have any kind of faith background, there's probably some laws or some rules that you feel like or have felt like you have to follow in order to be a good Christian. Things like how you have to dress to go to church. Things like what kind of music or movies are okay or not okay for a Christian person. I have a friend who's a part of a church where the men cannot have long hair and the women cannot have short hair. And the list goes on. Today we're gonna open up the Bible and continue our series through Colossians. And we're gonna see that from the start of the Christian faith, there has always been a temptation or this draw to add extra things to our faith in Jesus, like keeping up a bunch of rules. So in this letter, the Apostle Paul doesn't just address bad ideas, he addresses what we would call false teachings that not only aren't helpful, but are incredibly dangerous. So the first I've already mentioned, Jesus plus external rules. You have to have faith in Jesus plus all the do's and don'ts. Second, Jesus plus human philosophies and ideas. Jesus plus mystical or these spiritual, supernatural experiences that you need on top 
of Jesus. And then finally, we're gonna see the Apostle Paul address Jesus plus self-denial or this extreme self-discipline of the body. Now this morning, I bet a lot of you are thinking, what in the world does this have to do with me? I made all the effort to come out today or tune in and you're talking about false teachings and false teachers that took place in a church 2,000 years ago. So what does this have to do with us today? I would argue far much more than we would think. A friend of mine, who's an active part of our church here at the Ridge, grew up in a church that taught the gospel, salvation through Christ, like we just uh, talked about through communion, that it's faith in Jesus. That's what he was taught. But there was a period of time where he felt like there had to be more in addition to Jesus. So in his words, he says this, When I graduated college, I moved to a different state. I tried different jobs and read every book in the self-help aisle. Some reality hit when my best friend committed suicide in 2012. All I could see for years was pain and suffering. So I started attending a Christian church half-heartedly again, but also I attended psychedelic healing ceremonies, Native American sweat lodges, and spiritual medium readings. I tried Scientology auditing courses. I sold all of my possessions. I became a minimalist, moved to Hawaii, joined a hippie commune, and eventually became an atheist. So he concludes by saying, I threw myself wholeheartedly into everything I could, but it was all meaningless and unfulfilling. Now, maybe some of you can relate to some of his experiences, maybe not. But I think because of our upbringing and what we saw in our families of origin, our past church experiences, whether good but oftentimes bad, our desire to control, a fear that we're not doing enough for God, being led away by false teachings, or simply feeling like there must be more to Jesus. These kinds of additions seem to be really helpful, but they actually take away from the fullness, the richness, and the sufficiency that we have in Jesus, our Savior, as is being outlined in this book of Colossians. So today, I wanna share just one truth that I hope you take home with you. And it's not unique to me, I've heard other pastors say it. It's simply this, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing else equals everything. Not faith in Jesus plus keep all the rules. Not faith in Jesus plus the latest book that's gonna promise you the world. Not faith in Jesus plus the spiritual experiences. And not faith in Jesus plus give up a bunch of things for God and control yourself. It's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And I think what we're gonna see today that in Jesus, 
We have salvation, we have forgiveness, we have peace, we have our eternity secure. We have all that we need in this life, in the life to come, and there's nothing else that we need to add to Jesus. So, let's jump into chapter two of Colossians. It says this, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you for those in Laodicea and for all who have not seen me in person. I want their hearts to be encouraged and joined together in love so that they may have all the riches of assured understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery, Christ. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in him. All the treasures, all the wisdom and knowledge are in him Jesus, I'm saying this so that no one will deceive you with persuasive arguments. For I may be absent in body, but I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see how well-ordered you are and the strength of your faith is. So what we learned from chapter one is that Paul is writing to the Colossian church a church that was started by a man named Epaphras who had received the gospel, returned to his hometown, and this church sprung up. A nearby church in Laodicea had also begun. And Paul says that even though I don't know you, even though I haven't had a chance to meet you, I am delighted in your faith. He was encouraged. He was writing to to see that they would continue in their faith in Christ. And as we've discovered in this series, in case you missed weeks one and two, the first week we said Jesus is the one who changes everything, and Jesus can be completely trusted because of who he is. So he said, I'm encouraged by your faith in Christ. But he was writing to make sure that they wouldn't be led away by deceptive arguments. Even though they had a strong faith, he needed to warn and protect them from false teachings that had infiltrated their church. Now before Paul takes these teachings head on, he reminds them of what's most important, which is their growing faith in Jesus. Verses six and seven say this, therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in him rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, overflowing with gratitude. So he's saying, guys, do you wanna know how to stand strong in the face of false teaching? Do you wanna know how to deal with false ideas that you think will be helpful? He simply says, walk with Jesus. Let your roots grow deep in Jesus. We've had some crazy weather uh, here in the Morgantown area. If you're online somewhere else, I don't know what it's been like for you, but it's been crazy. We've gone from winter to summer to winter, and then we had a week where it was just like 100 mile an hour winds out of nowhere. And I didn't have any property damage as a result. If you did, I'm sorry that it happened, but I did have something happen that I think is one of the worst things can happen to a human. You get your trash thrown everywhere. Am I right? I mean, I think I'd rather serve time in prison than clean up trash, you know, all day. And it's always a mixture, it seems. It's always a mixture of banana peels, eggshells, 
Coffee grinds, and in our case, diapers. It's like that's, that's the bag that had to get broken open. So a few weeks ago, that happened. Now, our garbage can blew away and spilled out, but the big, strong, tall trees around our property did not. When the winds came and they beat against the trees, they did not go anywhere. Why is that? Because their roots were strong and their roots were deep. So Paul says, how do you stand strong in the face of false teaching? By walking with this Jesus you have received. By letting your roots grow down deep into him. And I love what he says the result will be that your faith will be built up and that you will overflow with thanksgiving. It's this picture of a tree with strong, deep roots and leaves that are the picture of a thankful heart for who Christ is, for all that he's done for us. Now, having reminded of them of what's most important, a growing relationship with Jesus, he begins to confront these teachings one after the, the another. First, he says, it's not about Jesus plus human philosophy. Eight to 10 say this, be careful. Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elemental forces of the world, and not based on Christ. For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ, and you have been filled by him who is the head over every ruler and authority. So Paul confronts false philosophy that's based on human tradition and the evil forces of this world that are completely void of Christ. Now, Paul's not being casual here. And I want you to hear these words in the same way. He says, be careful. He says, beware. He says, be on guard. Like a loving father trying to protect their children, he says, please watch out. Or you will be taken captive and imprisoned to these worldly ideas that promise fulfillment but are actually empty. Norman Geisler says this, a commentator. He says, philosophy is the love of wisdom, but if one loves wisdom that is not Christ, the sum of all wisdom, he loves an empty idol. It's just empty. The image that comes to my mind when I think about pursuing self-help or philosophies or worldly wisdom, the image that comes to my mind is a hollowed out book. Do any of you guys have one of those? Maybe you hide valuables in or the cookies that you're not supposed to have or something like that. But a hollowed out book, and if you've seen them, it looks perfect from the outside, right? It's, it's complete, it's got the binding, you could put it on your shelf, it blends in with everything else, but you look inside and it's empty. It's been hollowed out so you can put other things in it. A book like that has the appearance of being normal and helpful, but once you open it, it's empty. Now for the Colossians and for us today, we are being bombarded with human philosophies, human ideas from every side. But if they're void of Christ, who Paul says is the fullness, 
and the head over everything and everyone, they will be hollow, empty, and deceitful. So be on guard. They will promise you everything, but will not deliver. Second, Paul takes on these external rules, which I was talking about in my opening. He says in 16 and 17, therefore, don't let anyone judge you in regard to food and drink or in the matter of a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of what was to come. The substance is in Christ. Here Paul confronts these external rules that were no longer required by God but were being advocated by these false teachers, things that don't have anything to do with loving God and loving others. Food and drink refer to Old Testament dietary laws, and the festival, new moon, and Sabbath refer to special Old Testament religious days. Scholar Robert Wall says this, Paul envisions a particular person who apparently is acting as a spiritual umpire, watching to see whether the community observes certain holy days and complies with certain dietary regulations, and using these things to determine the quality of their devotion to God. Now, in the Old Testament, God used these things. They were his ideas. These dietary laws, these ceremonial laws, these observances, but the purpose was to point people to Christ. As Paul says, they were a shadow of what was to come, and that was Jesus. But now in the church, there are people who are acting. I love uh, Robert Wall's picture of this spiritual umpire just watching. Oh, you're not allowed to do that. Oh, you, ha you have to do that. Oh, you're a good Christian. You're a bad Christian. You're doing what you should do. You're, do you're not doing what you, what you should do. You see, because Jesus fulfilled the law, Christians are no longer under the law of the Old Testament, but we're under grace as described in Romans 6, Romans 7, and Galatians 3. So he says, don't let these judgmental, mean-spirited, spiritual umpires steal your joy by layering all of these things that you're supposed to do or not do. Now, does that mean that we can do whatever we want? Does that mean that there's no moral compass whatsoever that Jesus has for us? Of course not. And in fact, Paul addresses this in the next chapter, and we're gonna cover that next week. So human philosophy rules now. He turns to these mystical experiences. He says this in 18 and 19. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on ascetic practices and the worship of angels, claiming access to a visionary realm, and inflated without cause by his unspiritual mind. He doesn't hold on to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and held together by its ligaments and tendons, develops with growth from God. Here Paul confronts mystical, spiritual experiences disconnected from Christ. They were worshiping angels instead of God. They were looking for special visions. They were desiring secret knowledge. But Paul says their pursuits have left them inflated like a balloon that's been blown up, full of pride, 
arrogant, feeling like they're a part of the spiritual elite because they've experienced things that those simple Christians could never experience. And without cause, Paul said their pursuits were in vain. They were to no avail because they weren't connected to the head. They weren't connected to Jesus who gives real nourishment who gives real growth and holds us together. These verses remind me of Jesus' words in the Gospel of John. This is a verse that would be worth memorizing and coming back to John 15, five. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do what? can do nothing without me. Any spiritual, spiritual pursuit apart from Christ will eventually prove to be worthless. As we've already read in verse three, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, all treasure of wisdom, all knowledge is hidden in Christ. You're not gonna find it in angels. You're not gonna find it in visions. You're not gonna find it in your horoscope. And this next one's a joke, so just take it as a joke. You're not gonna find it in your fortune cookie, all right? Don't base your stock buying on your fortune cookie, not a good idea. You're not gonna find it in those things. It's going to be found in Christ alone, in Christ alone. And finally, Jesus plus self-denial. 20 to 23 says, If you died with the Messiah to the elemental forces of this world, why do you live as you still belong to the world? Why do you submit to regulations? Don't handle, don't touch, don't or don't taste, don't touch. All these regulations refer to what is destroyed by being used up. They are commands and doctrines of who? Of men. Although these have a reputation of wisdom by promoting ascetic practices and humility, severe treatment of the body, they are not, they are not of any value in curbing self-indulgence. The final false teaching that Paul confronts is extreme self-denial and self-restraint based on human commands, not of God. This is commonly referred to asceticism. And maybe the picture of a monk out in the desert somewhere comes to mind. Here Paul gives an example of how far they had taken their teachings as it relates to food. Which was given to us by God for our nourishment and our enjoyment. And because we're no longer under the law, we can eat whatever we want. He says, don't handle Don't taste, don't touch. These these false teachers sound like me when I take my four young kids to Walmart. Don't handle that toy. Don't taste that or lick that. That's pretty common. Don't touch it, don't break it, right? That's the spirit of these people. Don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. Paul also condemns the harsh treatment of their body, and and this might sound crazy to you, it existed then and it exists today, but they would hit themselves with a whip. 
causing severe bodily harm and pain in an attempt to restrain their sin because they believed the body was bad. But Paul says these things have no value in curbing your self-indulgence. And although extreme food regulations, beating their bodies, and other things have the appearance of wisdom and humility, I mean, they kind of just look great. It's like, wow, look at everything that that person's given up. I could never do that. Wow, look at, the, look at all of the things. Whew. That's not me. Paul says it has the appearance of wisdom and humility, but it is no value whatsoever because it's disconnected from Christ. So God, speaking through Paul's letter to the church, says it's not about Jesus plus external rules. It's not about the do's and the don'ts. It's not about human philosophies. It's not about the latest book that you're gonna find at the bookstore that will promise you the world. It's not about these mystical experiences, and it's not about self-denial. What's it about? It's about Jesus plus nothing. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. So in light of this, I think our response today is simple. Let me take you back to six and seven. It says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, overflowing with gratitude. First, today, if you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, you'd say, Josh, I'm a Christian. I have, I have placed my faith in Christ. My encouragement to you is simple. Walk with him. Let your roots grow deep in him so that you are like that tall tree and not the garbage can. Because just like the Colossians, you will continue to be bombarded with false additions and false teachings that seem to be helpful. You see, for the Colossian church, that false teacher had to physically come in the, in the physical form with those ideas. Do you wanna know where you're gonna get those today? It's in your pocket. You're going to be exposed to so many ideas that are out there through social media, through all of these platforms that seem to be so helpful and useful and I need to do that and I need to add that and what about that? It's not. When you are rooted in Christ and your roots are growing deep in him, you will be reminded over and over and over again that Jesus, you're all that I need. So I encourage you to spend time with him each day. Roots take daily nourishment, so spend time with him each day. And for me, this one is, is absolutely essential. It's to spend time with God, with others. To pursue community with people who will encourage me in my faith, who will build me up, and who will help me sort these things out. What is good, what is false. And this morning, if you're not yet a Christian, because I hope at some point you will be, if you've not received Jesus as Lord, I encourage you to receive him today. 
And I'm going to say something with all sincerity and with no judgment in my heart. Without Jesus in your life, you will have nothing. Without Jesus, you won't have peace. Without Jesus, you won't have forgiveness. Without Jesus, you won't have the promise of eternity. You simply won't and you simply can't. But with Jesus, you will be given everything. You'll become a daughter, a son of God. You'll be forgiven. You'll have the peace. And as my father described before he became a Christian as an adult, it was as if that hole in my heart that I had tried to fill with everything has finally been filled. I appeal to you today to receive Christ Jesus as your Lord to call, out to, to call out to him in childlike faith, acknowledging your sin before him and placing your trust alone in him for the forgiveness of your sins. I encourage you to do that today. This morning, I wanna leave you with the rest of my friend's story, which can be your story too. In his words, he says this, even though I knew the truth about Jesus. I had thrown myself wholeheartedly into everything I could think of, but it was all meaningless and unfulfilling. After about 10 years of searching for the answers, I knew I needed God in my life. I just didn't know how anymore. I started reading Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis and began to think that maybe if this guy took Jesus seriously, I could too. I got a good study Bible and actually started reading it regularly. I added prayer time to my day. I got involved in a church and began to build relationships with other Christians. I started dating an incredible Christian woman who both inspired me to be a better man and occasionally told me to be a better man. I wrestled with God over my doubts and fears and the only thing that kept me going was my desperation for God. I can't pinpoint a specific moment when I believed that Jesus was real, but over time I realized that he was. I somehow understood that Jesus was never, that life was never about me, but about Jesus. And this last statement really does summarize our morning. He says, now there's a fullness in my heart that I can only explain through who Jesus Christ is and what he has done for me. I have received his gift of forgiveness and I trust in his promises and guidance every day of my life. I am extremely grateful my heart is full. What the Apostle Paul, as he sat in a prison cell, writing to the Colossian church, was saying Jesus plus nothing is everything. And what my friend's experience has proven to be true for him is after 10 years of looking to add things to Jesus that seem helpful, that seem appealing, comes to a place of saying it's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Let's pray together. Jesus, we believe that you are who you say you are. We believe that you came into this world 
that you lived a perfect life, that you went to the cross on our behalf, and that you rose from the dead, defeating death and sin once and for all. God, I pray that we would hold fast to you, that we would let our roots grow deep in you, so that when the winds of false teachings come our way, that we will hold strong, that we will cling to the fullness and the richness in the sufficiency that we have in you, Jesus, our Savior. Amen.